So she gets pregnant and she's thrilled. Ha. Huh? <laughs> At first, maybe she is. But then again, happy. what happens is that everyone's paying attention to this unborn baby and not to her. They're making so the room. guess who has to die? <laughs> yes, but I love this. She's she they're making the baby's room. You took out father's, it, it was her father's um, laboratory or something, but they're, they're making mm-hmm. it and they're painting it and, and, you know, he's having a grand old time with the mother and the cousin who is obviously in love with him, probably always been. And, mm-hmm. you know, they are just finding each other. They walk together and have fun and Alan watches and... She, I love this. She gets sick because she ate shrimp and she's sitting down in the room. She said, I hate this little beast. I wish it would die. <laughs> and she yeah. said, and isn't that funny because she had a poor, her poor daughter prior, but she had to play that evil part. And, oh, that's wicked, Alan. You don't mean it. She said, I do. And so the next thing you know, she's glamorous. What is that great line? She says, that's wicked. And, and Ellen says, um... Sometimes the truth is wicked. Mm-hmm. And she, I love how she has to doll up for this. She's wearing this beautiful blue um, nighty and, and matching. It's like a peignoir, peignoir. kind of a, Yes, definitely yeah. a peignoir. And then she, her toenails are point, painted the most perfect, you know, perfect pedicure of red. And the shoes, her slippers match her outfit. And she, she puts lipstick on and she looks perfect. And then she prints in the mirror before she does this. <laughs> yeah. And then you just see her. She gets her toe, her slipper caught with her toe and down she tumbles. And we find out next at the hospital that the baby is dead. And Richard and everybody is devastated and nobody will talk to her because they believe she did it on purpose. Her mother does. She stays away Mm -hmm. from her. And, um, you know, she's allegedly, Ellen was supposed to have been sleepwalking and um, the cousin said, what was her name? Are you in love with, remember the guy, are you in love with Jane? No. Are you in love with... I'm trying to think of the cousin's name. Again. Oh, oh, Jean Crane's name. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm totally blanking anyway. I'm blanking too. So um, after she kills the baby, um, she sees Richard's book and it's dedicated to the gal with the hoe. And that's his nickname Ruth. for Ruth. Yes. The gal with the hoe. And she right. said, Ruthie might she's be. always gardening. Yeah. Yes. Everywhere's house. You know, that kind of bugged me. I'm like, you know, you just go to a person's house and you start gardening. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're visiting my house, I want you to ask me first if you can garden. I don't care. She's just Miss Gardener, you know. Well, she has to do something productive since Ellen is always getting all the attention. And, and all, all the, the men. <laughs> but she does the gal with the hoe. And then um, they have it out. And she's always been jealous of me. And she said, Alan, I think you're the most pitiful creature I've ever met. And that just hits Alan. And Alan goes to work. And um, she believes. Very clever this time, though. Okay. She doesn't just poison her. She frames it to look like 
it was her. You know, she she sets the whole thing up uh, to look to frame it to look like it was him doing it. Yes. And oh, yeah. So she wanted to be cremated with her father and have her. She did this whole like really creepy ritual with her father's ashes in, in New Mexico. And that's what she wanted, too. So she she's with Richard. Richard's in there with her. And she said, I don't care, Richard. I'll never let you go. That's what she said. And then she croaks. Mm-hmm. So Richard has her cremated like she wishes. But in the meantime, before she died, Ellen wrote this to Vincent Price's character that she wants to be buried, blah, blah, blah. And and they think that he did this against her will to hide the fact that she was poisoned. And so Ruth is charged with murder. Right. But when she's when she's concocting the poison, you think, oh, she's going to poison Ruth. Right. Right. But that's the twist. She poisons herself and frames Ruth uh, for the murder. Yeah. So she can never have Richard. (laughs) Right. I have to say that man was the worst. Uh, I think he was. I don't know what's what's his name, but he did a lot of stuff. He was the worst lawyer I ever saw in my life against Vincent Price. <laughs> Are you in love with Ruth? Are you in love with Ruth? Yeah, you- that was a bit over the top. <laughs> and it's like, I object. <laughs> Where does that come from? There's no I- objection. There's no nothing. And um, Ruth faints and whatever. Ruth says, I've always loved him. And so, uh, but... Then Richard comes clean and says that Ellen admits that she killed her brother. Ellen admits this, and Ellen admitted all that. Ruth gets off, but Richard gets two years because he didn't say what Ellen told him, which is weird to me, you know? I don't hmm. know. Well, but, you know, once Jean croaks, it's it's all over. She she brings that movie to life. And not that I'm saying that Gene Crane and and Cornell Wilde, all those scenes are good. Everybody else is good in the movie. Oh, but, you I know, agree. When you're Jean's just magnetized gone. to really? Gene's character. She yeah. just she she's just so compelling and so horrible and so complex and so, um, it's just so evil, really. <laughs> and the fact that it's a Technicolor noir, it's not only a, a film noir in Technicolor, which is very rare, but it was shot on location in Bass Lake in California. Oh, they went to Maine. They went gorgeous, to New Mexico, gorgeous, gorgeous. right? Gorgeous. So there's bucolic oh. scenery. And, and her, with her red lips and her perfect beauty against that scenery, there's something about it. And I love um, what Martin Scorsese said, uh, that movie really impacted him and he said uh, he called it um it was the strange otherworldly perfection of gene tierney's face combined with the technicolor was almost um was something he he just never forgot i think it influenced him in his his in some of his films especially like cape fear i think you can see it i believe it yeah and um it was wonderful and so (laughs) During this, though, you know, I'm listening to, I was telling Sloan, I'm listening to, because I I got the DVD with the commentary, and it was uh, Dwayne Hickman? One of the brothers was, Mm -hmm. or Daryl Hickman. Daryl Hickman, yeah. Yeah, he was Danny, and he became an acting teacher, and he was like, you know, she's indicating, she's not a very good actress, he's talking about behind the scenes, how mean they were to him, and then after the drowning scene, they thought he was the king of the hill, because he had to do it so many times, and um, then they started picking on Cornell Wilde, and, but not the 
not the women. He said, you know, that Jean was fine and it was her, like, she was new to movies, he said, but um, I couldn't get through to Jean. She would, she was just by herself and, you know, she really didn't bother with me or anybody. But this was also after her child was born and probably, you know, she had just been admitted not that long ago. And Jean's just thinking, I've got to support my kid to make sure she can stay here. She right. was working to keep her kid there so she didn't have to go to some horrible place. She was in a really difficult situation in her life. And I think her performance in that movie, she, yes, she may be indicating in certain ways. She may not be, like I said before, she's not the most spontaneously emotive actress. Uh-uh. But so what? Humphrey Bogart never no. emoted. He was Humphrey Bogart. He was, you know, he was he was just playing himself and he was great. You know, Jean was a great star. And I think she was fabulous in Leave Her to Heaven. I, I- can't imagine any other actress Me either. nailing that the way she did. And she got an Academy Award nomination. So I think yes. she's no slouch. No slouch. And I loved her. And I, when I'm listening to him, I was like, what is your grind, man? She's dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she did a great job. Now you know what she was going through at that time. Yeah, I, I know. You know, it, it was years after, you know, Jean died. I had to know her story and what was going on. And I just found it to be really mean-spirited, quite frankly. That's too bad. Yeah, because I thought she was great. And I don't think anybody else could have done it. And she was playing against type, let's face it. And she was amazing. And then what's her next one? She does this wonderful The Ghost of Mrs. Muir. Yeah, she did. Well, she did Dragon Wick. She did The Ghost in Mrs. Muir, The Razor's Edge. It was all taking off for her after Leave Her to Heaven, really after Laura. But Leave Her to Heaven put her in the Oscar range, you know, of of major stars, the Oscar-nominated range. She lost to uh, Joan Crawford for Mildred Pierce, Mm -hmm. BTW. And Joan Crawford is another actress that people always said was not that great and was indicating and wasn't, you know. uh, I like Joan. So, the you know, I think a lot of it is, frankly, I think it's usually men who make that complaint. And I find that they're unaware of, of the pressure on women to look perfect every time they turn their head, every time they open their mouth. So there is a certain self-consciousness in some female actresses uh, because they have to be conscious. They're trying to, you know, look, live up to the movie star ideal with this harsh lighting on them. It's very difficult. And um, not that I'm making excuses. I just think that there's another way to look at it, you know, with all the constraints and all the makeup and all the need to look perfect at every five seconds. I think they're, (laughs) they're doing a pretty good job. I do too. I do too. So she's having problems with Oleg. She goes to Mrs. Muir. I did not know she had an affair with Joseph Mankiewicz during that time. Well, I don't know that it's that publicized. I just heard, you know, um, I heard, I, I saw, I was actually writing about him recently and I was researching him and I saw many pictures of them on the set and they just were sort of making eyes in these pictures and they were standing very close and they looked very lovey-dovey and then I read a book recently about Mankiewicz and it said that they did have an affair so I can believe it looking at the pictures. Yeah well I believe you because I didn't read any of those things and I'm sure and I know what book you're writing so I'm sure you did the investigation so that's it. But they weren't getting along. And I'm, who knows? Oleg was, 
with everybody, you know? Oh, yeah. But after she did The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, and it, it she, I love that George Sanders was in it, and Lud, he, he was like a children's author guy. He was such a slime ball. Oh, big time. Um, so she, in 1948, had a, not, uh, had a very healthy baby named Tina, and she divorced Olog, Oleg Cassini in 1952. But they, you know, that was 12 years. And they had many, I think they split, got back together, split, got back together. Yeah, they did. They were off and on for quite a while. They, in fact, she first filed for divorce, I believe, in 1948 or first tried to start proceedings. Um, but then she got pregnant and had a girl very happy, which is obviously she was overjoyed to have a healthy baby girl. Not that it made up for Daria, but it was um, something she had wanted. So and she was happy. Is this about the time? Um, she meets up with someone who had such an, uh, a thing, uh, such an important impact on her life in such a horrible way. This is when she met that girl, that woman around this time. Oh, no, actually, that was. Um, oh, yeah, we should finish up that yes. story. Right. Mm-hmm. It was only a year after Daria oh, was born. I didn't know she that. was at lunch uh, at some sort of tennis match and uh, this woman came up to her. And she said, I was a lady Marine. We met once at the Hollywood canteen, but you probably don't remember. Um, And I was wondering if you ever got German measles after that night. And Jean just sort of stared at her in shock. And she said, because I I shouldn't tell you this, but I had to break quarantine. I was under quarantine for German measles, but I couldn't miss your appearance at the Hollywood canteen because you're my favorite actress. And so I had to come and get your autograph. And then she was just like, bye, see ya. And Jean stands there stunned and it sinks in, right? This was the woman who gave her German measles, who is so cavalier led to and her stupid and daughter. Selfish. Yeah. 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 And I can't imagine what she went through after learning that. No. Can't imagine. And I she said she home. eventually, yeah. it took her a long time to be able to forgive the woman and to forgive God and to forgive Hitler, she said in her book. <laughs> uh, for I mean, imagine how it was all tangled together in her mind. You know, the war, uh, the Hollywood canteen, being a movie star, uh, and the guilt she must have felt of thinking, well, I caused this by being a movie star. She said after that there, woman told yeah. me that, yeah, I never cared again if I was anyone's favorite actress. I think, I think a lot of Hollywood uh, and fame was soured for her in that moment, don't you? Yeah, I do, big time. And I don't know. I mean, I I believe uh, I would have been so stunned. I don't know what I would have done either hearing it because you would not believe someone would be so selfish and then so stupid to tell you. I hope you didn't get German measles because I came like, you know, you're stupid too. Not only you're selfish, yeah. you are really yeah. stupid, honey. And... um. So it's like, I don't get it. And, and, but she must've went home and she, you know, all the rage she must've felt for this woman. Yeah. Yeah. And years later, there was a movie made about this, The Mirror Cracked, starring Elizabeth Taylor, um, 
Kim Novak. Kim Novak, yeah, and Rock Hudson. Uh, I think it was a little bit cheesy, but it was based on the novel. Right, Ag- it was I mean, cheesy. her, yeah, Agatha Christie's novel. Um, I mean, it's amazing that this story about Jean Tierney inspired Agatha Christie's novel, but not really, because what an incredible story that is to really happen. I would have wanted to kill her too, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, I would have been. Yeah, because so in the in the book, yeah. she, it's about an actress who finds that out, and that's her motive for. For killing this woman, and, and nobody and knows a stranger why. To her. They yeah, are nobody like, knows why, why. Why would anyone want to kill her? So she found out that. When did she meet? What movie was she doing when she met John Kennedy? Yeah, I can't remember what movie that was, but it was it was sometime in the forties. And she looked up and she said she saw these gorgeous blue eyes staring at her, and it, of course it was JFK, pre-president JFK, and he had been in. He was just, he was in the war, and he I think he was a congressman at that time or something. I don't know. He was another one like Howard Hughes, who was always on the make in Hollywood for the beautiful actresses. Like father, like son, right? His father was yep. a horrible yep. man. And, um, you know, you could go either way. I mean, the guy, let's face it, his father was a bootlegger. He was all these things, and he had a lot of money, and he had a lot of power, political power. But he also wanted to do movies. I don't know. He wasn't very successful with that, but he did have this. Well, he did produce uh, some movies with Gloria Swanson, I think, but that was the tail end of the silent era, right. and uh, it, it didn't work out that and well And he had a major um, affair with Gloria. And one mm-hmm. of the creepiest, scummiest things is that his wife and his children were on a cruise, as was his little sweetie in Paramore, um, Gloria Swanson. <laughs> you know, she was on the same Cruise. Yeah, the men in those days, you know, I would like to say that they're that they're much better today in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) They're really not. They're they're a little bit less out in the open, blatantly uh, disgusting, I guess, about things like that. Most of them. But um, yeah, it's 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 always been a magnet for that type of man. Hollywood, unfortunately. So he could have either been turned off by how his father treated his mother or become like that. And he did. So, but Jean thought that this was a really um, big time affair. She fell for him big time. Um, He had a sister, Rosemary. So she was very free to talk to him about her daughter, Daria. But the fact of the matter was, Rosemary was not born like that. She had a lobotomy. She was lobotomized, which was really horrible. What they did to her. And for different reasons, you know, the father just said, I don't like the way she's acting. She's embarrassing, whatever. Mm. And they lobotomized that poor woman. I didn't realize that. Yes, they lobotomized her. So she was not born like Daria at all. And she lived a long time. And I have to say that Ted was an amazing brother to her. He was there and took care of her throughout her life. And she lived a long time. But um, shame, 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 shame on them for that. Um, well, in those days, they, you know, in those days, to be fair, they didn't know what else to do if someone was having mental illness. You, you put them in a straitjacket, you lobotomized them, you gave them shock treatments. And and speaking of that, that leads us into the next chapter of Jean's life. Well, yes. Are we going to, so we're going to tell the end of, of the JFK said, I can't marry you, Jean. And she said, goodbye, Jack. Oh, did she? Yeah. When did they, so did she go away before she started dating Ali Khan? 
Yeah, I, um, you know, her affairs really kind of bore me. I'm just not interested in it. So I don't, I don't know. Um, hey, but it, it, me, all, he seemed it was like all a very a- slow process. So, I mean, I think she was dating different people, but you know, as all of this was happening. Is I, he just didn't seem like the person she would be going with, you know? It just seemed like such Well, a- I think that, you know, with Prince Ali Khan, with JFK, with these these big-time wealthy and prominent men who dated actresses or who married them or both, um, I think that um, these women were Hollywood stars, major stars, and I think that to some degree— you know, a, a, an average man who who managed a shoe store or something just wouldn't have known how to talk with them. You right. know, it, it becomes very strange when you're a big celebrity and and you have to date other people who are used to that lifestyle. Uh, but if you don't want to date other Hollywood stars, which I could understand that, then you go for these men who are jet setters, you know, who are playboys. used to dating glamorous actresses yeah. and they're playboys, unfortunately. So I think she was stuck in that rut for a while. Yeah, she said, as long as I was playing someone else, I was fine. When I had to be myself, my problems began. And uh, you, wrote, yeah, and we should say that she always she had, had um, yeah. she always had a shyness, a camera shyness, a fear of speaking in public. She was very nervous about things like that. So I think that she um, she had a lot of problems. But but as far as her illness, she never stated precisely what it was. It sounds like manic depression in a lot of ways because she would have periods where she was perfectly fine, and then she would have periods where she was not fine. But during those periods, she was more than depressed. She was she had psycho she she had psychotic episodes. Right. She she psychotic couldn't read. Breaks. She couldn't make make the words out on a page. They would all jumble together. She would get paranoia. She would get, um, you know, detached from reality. So yeah. it was more than just manic depression. She had a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. Um, and so they took her. She would not go and stay in the hospital. But um, doctors said she should be committed. She had shock treatments. This was her first time having the shock treatments, which were they're still doing them today. Um, but hopefully they're not as brutal as they were in the 50s. Yeah, they were horrific back then. Yes. And I think the first time, I don't know, I think she had about 16 or 17. And, you know, she said she would forget. She forgot a lot of stuff. Um, She'd be very tired the next day and whatever. You know, they put them in those cold freezing bath things where all your your head shows, right? Awful, awful. Put you in an ice bath, you yeah. know, uh, up to your neck. And I can't imagine what that was supposed to do, but it's, I don't think it was, uh, those have been, they've not done that for many, many decades. But I can that see was a, calming someone in sort of, a, you know, like a, a warm thing that kind of comes through you when you're doing mm-hmm. it. But to me, you know, it's like crazy. I can't even imagine. But she got out. And this is one one thing you talked about this movie which I <laughs> I do hypnosis. I, I'm not doing it a lot now, but um, I am uh, board certified and I can do it. Interesting. Yes, I can. And so, yeah, I had to take uh, lots of uh, classes and become certified and all that junk. And so this, she did this movie called Whirlpool. And you could see in her in that movie 
that she was troubled. I could see that myself. Yes, she was very fragile. And I understand that's the character she was playing, but there was more to it than that, right? Behind you her eyes, you it. could see yes, yes, yes. she was having a lot of mental issues at that time. I believe that was that 52? Uh, yes. And she was uh, a woman married to this very famous psychiatrist. Um, and... I guess he was I'm sorry, pretty- but Richard Conti is not a psychiatrist. No, that, I think that was bad casting. Yeah. <laughs> but and he's not Gene Sizer. He's like a mobster. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. It like, was weird. It yes. wasn't a very good movie, but no. it had interesting parts to it. I, I feel like, um, well, anyway, go ahead with what you were saying about it. Um, it, it had interesting parts, but the thing about her was she was a troubled woman. She's married to a psychiatrist. She can't sleep at night, and she is a kleptomaniac. So they catch her um, trying to steal something, and they bring her in. She's like, how dare you? I have the money in my pocket. How dare you? And they bring her up. And then mm-hmm. for some reason, Jose Ferrer is there, and um, he's he is a... Uh, he does hypnosis. He's a hypnotist. He was stalking her, I think, right. to try to find, to try to. Um, he's really a scam artist, right? But uh, yeah, and then um, he contacts her, and she thinks it's to blackmail her, but it's to he wants to help her sleep. And, and the thing, and they meet at this party that this woman's giving, and. Um, I mean, the way they do hypnosis, I wish it was so easy. One, two, three, skidoo. <laughs> okay, rest. You're going to fall asleep at 12 o'clock <laughs> mm-hmm. automatically. It doesn't work like that. I wish it did, but it doesn't. Um, some people are very easily hypnotized, but the way they show it in movies is a bunch of um, baloney sauce in general. And um, it is not a magic trick. You you are when I'm doing hypnosis, people, it's really self-hypnosis. You're just guiding them. They're listening to right. you and they're doing it to themselves. You're just being the guide to help them get to that spot. And when I see that, it just drives me mad. Anyway, he's this beast who's using her and um, it's she runs into some woman and I don't know, she's borrowing her lipstick. I'm like, wow, <laughs> she is emotionally troubled. She's borrowing or some powder from some stranger, the lady with the white streak, who who was, I guess, a paramour of um, Jose Ferrer. And he always, he always taped his stuff when he did his hypnosis so he could blackmail and uh, he was blackmailing this woman, and then Jean, she was trying to warn Jean not to be with this man, and Jean just kind of freaks out, starts yelling at her, and everybody's like, oh, they're aghast, <laughs> and she leaves. Mm-hmm. And then this woman ends up dead. Not Jean. Well, she's very used in that movie, and it's, it's a sad movie to me. I don't like to watch it because it's it's very indicative of the way that in the 40s, women were these dynamic forces in the movies, especially in film noir, like yes. Ellen. She's evil, but she's a very dynamic force. And then by the 50s, women kind of have to be put in their place. The men right. are back from war. That, that's what this movie feels like to me. It's like shaming her. You know, she's the whole thing is she's ashamed to admit to her husband that she's having issues because he's a famous psychiatrist and she can't be insane. Well, that's crazy. He's your husband. You but know, he's a he real should be poop. able to help you. And he's controlling yeah. her. And he and loves everyone her is controlling. Everyone yeah. is controlling. 
controlling her, right. her husband, this other man, the her, police her dad and did. suspect her, her yeah. dad. Yeah. She's just this victim. Poor thing. She doesn't know up from down by the time they're done with her. So it's, but she plays it well, but again, sad because I think that that was mirroring a lot of what she was going through in real life. And you could see it. You could see it on her face. Yeah. You could see it in, in so much of what she was doing. And it made me... Really and then The Left Hand of God, when she that she made in 55, that was the final movie she made before she finally was committed. She had been in and out of a few institutes, but, but not to stay. Uh, she kept thinking she could go back to Hollywood and she'd be all right. Well, I find it really interesting that Humphrey Bogart, her co-star in that movie really noticed he had had a sister who was mentally ill and he knew, I mean, I'm sure other people noticed things were, things were wrong with her, but you know, they weren't really noticing. They weren't really looking. They weren't, they didn't take it seriously enough. And he went to the studio and said, look, this woman is sick. You know, she, she needs help. You know, and I think he helped guide her he through the movie and, and fed her her lines, which yeah. she couldn't remember. He said he was she couldn't very make kind sense. to her. He said yeah. she couldn't make sense of the words on the page of the script. So right. that's when she finally started her her horror period of being in and out of mental hospital, mostly in for several years. Um, what year was it? Yeah. I like when she signed the papers to agree to be committed, she asked, do you have any floors I could scrub? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> because she said when she did that, it helped her. Cleaning, Cleaning helped, helped her. her. Yeah, I can see that because I like scrubbing things too if I'm angry or in a bad mood. Yeah. It just helps you, you know, kind of um, – because you're doing something that you don't really have to think about, but you're getting something accomplished, I guess. I don't know. But she found that that helped her, so she wanted to actually scrub the floors. And she, she but once she committed herself, though, uh, she, she signed the papers, but – and her family was really urging her to – but she she wanted out. She tried to escape. She screamed. She cried. I mean, it was it was horrible in those days to be committed. Yeah, and um, she she thought that the, she was hearing like animal noises, so she asked to be put on another floor. And this was where they were really, really um, emotionally disturbed people. And uh, I think even some criminals, mm -hmm. you know, people who had, I think a young girl who had killed her. No, mother. I think they, I think what happened actually is that she kept saying she was hearing animal noises at yes. night. And so they put her in the, in the crazy ward with the really, truly insane people. Right. And then come to find out. There was a thing. It was, <laughs> there was, there a, was a zoo. There was a zoo. No, it was a zoo <laughs> yeah. right down the street. And she actually had been hearing the animal noises. Oh, this is madness. I can't imagine the things that she went through with the ice packs, the ice packs, the shock, shock treatments, the being around truly, truly insane people. And would she doesn't almost remember drive you a insane. lot of them. She didn't remember yeah. a lot of these things. And sometimes she would kind of remember the the instances where she would kind of go after somebody or do something like this. But it's interesting how she opens her memoirs as she opens it while she's standing on her mother's terrace on Sutton Place in New York, which is a very she-she boom-boom. Um, and she is, I don't know, I think she's in her, her robe or whatever. She, was, she mm -hmm. lived with her mother for a while and she just didn't go anywhere. She slept. Her daughter actually saw her 
mother with her girlfriend uh, from school standing. Yeah, they were coming home from school and there was a whole crowd gathered around and her friend from school was like, look, there's someone up on that ledge. (laughs) And it was Jean wanting to jump, but she didn't really want to jump. She was just actually absolutely out of her mind and so depressed and didn't know what to do. Yeah. And she finally came in. She didn't think that anyone had seen her. And uh, a woman across the street called the police and they came. They came to see Jean. That was probably the worst moment of her life. But that was between, uh, you know, treatments in hospitals. And and she once she finally went, she said that it took her a few years to accept that she had a mental illness and it was a flaw and she needed to be treated for it just as you would be treated for a physical illness. It wasn't going to magically go away. You know, and it it is a process when you have anything like that. You want to you want someone to give you a pill or a shot that's just going to make it go away. And you keep thinking, why is this happening to me? It shouldn't be happening to me. And all of that that you go through, it took years for her to accept it. Once she said once she really accepted it, you know, deep down, um, and she, she was OK. And she started to get slowly better and not be a shame. Yeah. And then she met this guy. She met a Texas oil man, Howard. Howard Lee. Howard Lee. And ironically, he was uh, getting divorced from Hedy Lamarr and he met Mm -hmm. her and she, and she said, he doesn't care if I'm crazy. He loves me (laughs) anyway. And so he did. He really held out. He wasn't divorced yet. And, um, you know, he waited. He was a very sturdy, kind of solid, soft-spoken presence. He right. was very wealthy, but, you know, it was more than that. It was, uh, I think he was good for her. Oh, he he seemed like the perfect man yeah. for her. And especially really at cared. that time in her life. And, mm-hmm. and at that time, she committed to that year at the manager clinic, I believe. Yeah, after she met him and she wanted to marry him and she had to go back. She started getting, you know, having issues again. And she went back and the manager clinic said, I will help you, but only if you commit to being here a year, you know, you need more help. And she had to do that. I mean, look at all the years she was unable to pursue her career, unable to act, unable to have a life. But, um, but she did it. And, um, she ended In up the working. outpatient therapy. Yeah. Yeah. The outpatient therapy I thought was interesting. They said, we want you to get a job because we feel that you're better and you need to start interacting in normal circumstances. And Hollywood is not normal circumstances. No. So she said, well, I've always enjoyed clothes. I could work in a clothing shop. And Jean Tierney working behind the counter in a clothing shop. And she said she enjoyed it. And sometimes people would recognize her. And as you said, it was the shame that she got over because she didn't care if people no, recognized her. No, which was her. wonderful that she... Yeah finally realized, I like this. And you know what? I don't care. I have nothing to be Mm -hmm. embarrassed about. I like doing this. And um, she did. And then she did, after she got out for that year, I believe she and Howard married. And she did go back to Hollywood. And she did a couple of movies. She did, yes. We're advising consent with her old lawyer, uh, her old lawyer, her old Laura director, Otto Preminger. Mm-hmm. It wasn't or, a big And a part. few others. 
and yeah. she did uh, Toys in the Attic. And then the last one she did, if you, I remember just seeing this because I just watched the biography, The Pleasure Seekers. The Pleasure Seekers. Carol terrible Lindley movie with Anne Margaret. Anne uh-huh. Margaret and another. And Carol Lindley was having an affair with her husband. And it was just like, yeah. you know, she's like, I don't belong here anymore. These are, these, right. let them <laughs> take it over. You know, I'm not doing this. And whatever. And but then, she was still beautiful. She was only in her 40s or something, you know, and she was gorgeous. But, but you know, Hollywood is not forgiving, especially in those days of women over 40. So she had to play the mother, the older mother and, or the, you know, which I don't think she minded so much, but it was just, they weren't good roles. No. Or the woman being cheated on and she had right. to, uh, you know, talk to this young Tootsie, Carol Lindley. <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. I don't think I want to deal with this. So she went to Texas and was very content and happy. She played backgammon. She had her friends. They had dinners. And they lived just a basic, nice life. Yeah, and she lived to tell the tale of everything that had happened to her, which I think is amazing. Yes, and, and, brave. and, and she did. She had relapses occasionally, but you know, she would just sort of. I think she came to to the point where she said, "Oh, I went a little crazy today," and Howard would be like, "Well, that's nice, dear." You know, it was <laughs> he didn't make an issue of right. it, and neither did she. And so that was probably the best thing for her, you know, just to live a normal life and away from the public eye. But she would go and do interviews sometimes. Oh, I she saw had her on Mike camera Douglas. interviews. I saw her on mm-hmm. another one, a couple of them. Oh, I just want to find this funny, funny um, quote she said about Grace Kelly. This cracks me up. I think it's so funny. I. What'd she say? Well, it's not that it's so funny, but it's just, I realized why she said it because I, at first I'm like, why would she even be bothered by saying that? So Jean got offered the part in Mogambo that Grace Kelly took. And uh, she said, um, she didn't, uh, oh, she said she didn't care that she took, didn't take it. Because she said, Ava stole the picture, and it's not because Grace wasn't beautiful, but it was because Ava could act. Ouch. <laughs> oh, that stung. That's an Ola Cassini. You know that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plus, Grace is being touted as is, and she was beautiful too, and not as beautiful as Jean. I hate to tell, in my eyes, I thought Jean was, yeah. nobody could touch her. But, you know, that was a funny quote, and she, she did a little gossiping about her, but I thought that was funny. Well, Grace Kelly at that point was not a great, a great actress. She was very stiff and wooden. Um, I don't know, think she ever became a really great actress, to be honest. No. Well, I thought she was good in The Country Girl. I thought she was very good with Hitchcock and everything she did with him. Well, I loved her you window. Know. Um, yeah. I just didn't know what she saw in Robert Cummings and um, a dilemma for her. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird. But, um, but you know, uh, Grace Kelly and Jean uh, Tierney are both, both beautiful oh. women. And I think both good actors, you know, both, uh, you know, even if you're just playing yourself and you're looking beautiful on camera, not everybody can do that. No, they can't. You know, I used to I be an actor, to be... and I'm telling you, it's not <laughs> it's not easy just well. to even even be able to say the lines in a natural way. Sometimes, if you've got a million people in your face, and you know, so I mean, these 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 women were great stars. They were, and I, I'm not dissing Grace Kelly. It's right. just no, I know. my personal feeling is I didn't think she was a great actress. I thought she was beautiful. I thought she did some really good films. 
But mm-hmm. um, no, I, I didn't even, I didn't like her in The Country Girl. I didn't think she deserved the Academy Award. That's just me. That's just me. Yeah. No, she wasn't great. I, I agree with that. I, I think Jean was better because Jean had um, these 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 piercing depths to her that, uh, and Grace Kelly was deep, I think, as well Very in her own way. So. But, yeah. but, but, you know, she didn't go through the horrors that Jean had gone through. And, and that, that leaves its imprint on your soul. And I feel like Jean's, Jean's troubles uh, came through in a very interesting way, even when she was trying to hide them. Yes, they were like sort of tattooed, though they were invisible mm-hmm. tattoos that you could see, but not really blatantly. But if you knew her problems and you watch like certain things, like I said, Whirlpool or things like that, I could just see her not being... You know, like she said, she she had trouble sometimes with reality. She had trouble with her script. She yeah. had trouble with a lot of stuff. And Grace, yeah. she was, how long was she an actress for? Six years? Five years? Oh, she sort of swept into Hollywood and, and became a huge star and then married a prince and retired. It was only like really just a few years. I think she was only 26 years. when she, yeah. she mm-hmm. married Prince Rainier. And you know she had her she had her problems there. She was bored to tears, and she wanted to go back. Oh to yeah, acting. I think I think hers is a tragic ending. Don't get oh. me wrong, because I mean she never got to act again. I can't imagine being controlled in that way. She had much more control. People think, oh, but she got to be a princess. Oh. Well, that's a life of duty. Okay, whereas in Hollywood, she was in that. control. Right. People act like people act like oh, Hollywood is just a control was controlling actresses too. Uh, no, not. A, not to that degree. When you were a big star and you were that beautiful and her family had money, she could do as she damn pleased in Hollywood. She, she could, could turn have. parts down. And that's yeah. why and she, she had, had much more authority. A zillion, you know, she, she was free with uh, her sexuality. She, right. you know, she did what she wanted to do. And so I'm a little surprised she married him. But she, you know, they didn't ever show any of her films in Monaco. Ever. They were all not allowed to see. I think her really big fault was she wanted to come back with Marnie, which is about a pathological mm-hmm. liar who was molested as a child and who's frigid. And I'm not. glad she didn't do that movie because yes. it's kind of grotesque. It is. So, but it was funny that that was the one she wanted to come back with. So she had to, yeah. she had to settle herself with doing poetry. She would do poetry readings and th- mm-hmm. certain things like that. And her but, little art with pressed flowers that she made. And yeah. she had her kid, children who were kind of bratty and yeah. Deserve her, no. but you know, whatever. <laughs> she had a happy ending, I guess, even though she had a horrible death. But it was sudden, and she was still young and ish and healthy ish when she died. So, who are we to say? You know, she had a good life in her own way. She did. Uh, Jean Tierney also did, and she came through her problems, and yes. she was an inspiration. I mean, the one thing I will say, one other thing I wanted to to mention about Jean Tierney that I hadn't told you is that I went on YouTube, uh, which maybe you saw it as well. Did you see her from What's My Line? No. In 1957? Uh -uh. That's an interesting one you should watch because, and anybody can watch it on YouTube. Because what's my line? Um, you know, was a show that was pretty popular then, where they would bli- they would bring celebrities on, and everybody would have a blindfold on, and they tried to guess who this person was. And it was 1957. It was between her. It was when she was first out of like the first. Um, mental institution after and then she, she had was, had electric she was shock. after she had had the electric shock and all of that and then she went again back 
after that. So she was only out for a brief period of time and she went on what's my line. And, um, I mean, she was in good spirits, you know, she was perfectly lucid. Everything seemed fine. But if you know, again, if you know her, her story, you can see some moments on her face where there's just an absolutely haunting, harrowing look in her eyes. And, and I noticed that she had a very crooked mouth, which I never noticed in her movies. Um, And again, I don't mean it as an insult. She was adorable, but she had this kind of little, little crooked mouth. You can see it very strongly in that. And I don't know if that was some kind of characteristic that she sort of hid with makeup or, or with uh, controlling her facial expressions, or if it was something that came out more after she had had the shock treatments. I noticed that that too. I have to tell you about the mouth. And I think it came out. It, it was yeah. not something that she hid or whatever. It just came out later because of all the it was stuff this poor woman had been through. Mm-hmm. But did you ever see the this uh, the Mike Douglas one where she she thought? Oh, I, I think was I saw ugly. a clip of that. It, yeah, no, I didn't clear. see the whole thing. And she's <laughs> carrying her pocketbook, and then he starts singing the Laura because there's actually words to it. Mm-hmm. But he's not singing oh, right. it to her. I wanted to smack his head. His Mike Douglas had kind of a big head between you and me and anybody else who's listening. Yeah. <laughs> and so I wanted to slap his big head in. He's singing, oh, Laura. And he's not even looking at Jean. She's just sitting there holding her pocketbook. Would you sing oh, it to this beautiful woman who is Laura, you, you poop? Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, this. Oh, so we have to just talk about this. Howard died in 1981, and Jean um, outlived him by 10 years. She died at the age of 70 in 1991. And I that was right before I moved to Houston. I wish I had, uh, I wish our paths had crossed. Wouldn't that have been fun? There's just so many things yeah. I, I just wished. But at least we get to know them in, in certain ways. And I, Really appreciate And my that. mother uh, looked like Jean Tierney, by the way, I should mention. Hubba. For, tell moms. Hubba hubba. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People used to tell her when she was in her 20s, you know, wow. oh, you look like Jean Tierney. And she did. I've seen pictures. So. Well, you're pretty hubba, cute hubba yourself. You're pretty cute yourself. <laughs> hubba hubba. Well, yeah. I get it. I don't look like Jean, though, but my mom did. So I guess I get a little, maybe a little of that in the cheek. Yes. Bones. One of my friends is madly in love with you. So I just have to say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, Jean died in we'll 19- have to We'll, we'll have to set up a, a, we'll a COVID-19 uh, blind date over the phone. Yes. Since I'm in New York <laughs> and you're in California. But I am going to make, I'm going when the next Turner Classic Film Festival is. I'm going, baby. So oh, I'm well, gonna, I will be there, baby. I'm going to meet you, baby. And um, what else? Uh, so Jean died in 1991. Ironically, both her daughters, Daria and Tina, lived to be 66. I don't really know. I mean, uh, Daria died, obviously, a few years earlier than her sister because she was born earlier than her sister. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly know why she died, um, but it's a long life to live. You know, you wouldn't think that someone in that condition, a, yeah. yeah. And then um, a, a Tina was living in France with her family. She had a couple of children and grandchildren, and she had a stroke. And she also died at sixty-six years old. So both of her daughters died before Jean's age. And Jean had had emphysema and everything in the kitchen sink. So, 
Yeah, but what a survivor. I mean, what a champion. And I still uh, thought she was beautiful. Did you ever see the picture of her? I think she's sitting in a wheelchair because of the emphysema, but she's with Dana and she's with Vincent Price. Oh, no, I have to find that. Is it online? I'll find it for you. Yeah, because okay. I posted it on my page and I... I I'll find it. And I also have it on I Pinterest. love them. I yes. love all I love all three of them. I yes. would love to see that photo. Yes. So I will find that photo for you and I will send it to you. Anyway, Thank anything you. else about Gina? I think we did pretty good. And it's very interesting. I think we covered know. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> this will be a two-parter. It's an hour and yeah. 36 minutes. And then with my little theme song, which is about 20 seconds and 20 seconds on the end, it'll be about an hour and 40 so. Well, you know, I'm going to be putting this out. It'll be nice. And I hope you like it because I had fun. I did too. This was great. Thanks for having me on and thanks for waiting for me. I love doing these with you. And remember, we're doing Tom Conway next. Yes, that'll be interesting because I get to dig into him. Oh, I'll have to send you this article I found about him in an old magazine. I'll send you that. And you send me the picture of... um, I will. Gene and Dana and Vincent. And I want to send you this thing I know about Tom, this whole story that Jaja told, which is unbelievable. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, so we'll we'll figure out, we'll find out more about Tom, we'll dig in, and we'll do him. And you guys can find Yay. out about our other dreamy boy. I, for one, can't wait to do Tom Conway. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, toots. He's mine. Take him, he's mine. He's very cute. Did you ever see repeat performance? Yeah, that was an interesting movie. Yes, I love him. I th- I thought mm-hmm. um, she was annoying, <laughs> Joan Leslie. Uh, are you going to drink? What year is that? Just you know, you know, your husband's an alcoholic. Yeah, Talk some of it was way, well, it was crazy. It was yeah. a bit too obvious, and but he it was, was an interesting film. Oh, I loved it, and I'm also I was in love with totally. It was his first film, Richard Basehart, and I thought he did a fabulous job as William mm, William. Mm-hmm. And I thought Louis Hayward was one of the creepiest people on earth. <laughs> yeah, but even him. I don't like him. I don't either. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something just very icky about him. He was married to there Ida. Ida Lupino at one point. Oh. Just, hmm. That's just a tidbit for you guys. You might have known that, but I'm just saying. Okay. So, everybody, um, thank you so much for tuning in. Sloan, thank you so much for coming on. I just love doing podcasts with you. And whenever you can do one with me, come on down. It was my pleasure, Grace. Yes, we'll do one again. I, I really enjoy it. So, and, um, you know, you do get love notes from people, so I'll let you know. <laughs> My fans. Your fans. Yes, your fans. All right, darling. Okay. Well, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. You too. And thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Listen to the stories of Tinseltown. They're not only good, they're true. True stories.